Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube and Facebook Live. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Well, today I wonder, um, I wonder what your greatest accomplishment would be. Maybe you have a lot, <laughs> a lot of accomplishments. Maybe you don't feel like you have that many, but I wonder what you would say is your greatest accomplishment. Uh, you've likely heard of the story of Rick and Dick Hoyt. Uh, their journey has gotten a lot of publicity over the years, and for good reason. Their story as father and son is truly extraordinary. Uh, and in case you're not familiar with their story, uh, here's a video to share a little bit more. Dick Hoyt and his son Rick were a team, father and son for years, competing in the Boston Marathon. That father pushing his son the entire way. We have followed their story for years. Rick was born paralyzed. The doctor's telling his parents, you should consider putting your newborn in a special care facility. We cried, but we talked and we said no. We're not going to put Rick away. We're going to bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. Dick and his wife, Judy, did just that. Sports, school, communicating through a computer. And it was back in 1977, Rick asked his father if they could run in a charity race together. Dad said he was out of shape, but that he would do it. When we got home that night, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, feels like my disability disappears. So that was a very powerful message to me. And so they kept running and running. The Boston Marathon 32 times, the statue in their honor near the starting line. More than a thousand races in all, Ironman's two. Dick towing his son on a raft. I'm amazed at what I'm doing. I'm running faster now when I'm 60 years old than when I was 18 years old. His son Rick is now 59, and his father, who was 80, passed away overnight. Rick's brothers breaking the news to him. And it was Rick who gave his father the biggest gift. I think that Rick has, you know, really made me fulfill my life as a father. It's the secret. I'm just having a great son, I guess. So several years ago, uh, when Dick passed away, several individuals came forward because they wanted to keep Rick in the race. He went on to, to run four more uh, Boston marathons with other people standing in the gap for his father who had passed away. Um, their accomplishment, though, Dick and, and Rick together, um, is truly remarkable and inspiring. Um, together, they were icons. I, I think they tallied a thousand different races, but when you consider uh, the, the ways that they changed uh, the road race triathlon world for over 40 years, they inspired millions of people, uh, those with disabilities, to believe in themselves, set goals, and accomplish extraordinary things. It just so happens that as I was preparing to share their story, uh, Rick, who was 61 years old, passed away just this past week. 
Uh, it's, a, it's a remarkable story, a legacy that will impact for generations and generations to come. Talk about accomplishments, right? <laughs> accomplishments. So what about you? What about your personal accomplishments? For some, it may be an academic achievement, right? A college degree, master's degree, something that you, that you worked hard to achieve. Uh, for others, maybe a sports accomplishment. Maybe you, you made the varsity team. You hit the winning shot. You ran a race, maybe not a thousand races, right? But you got one. You did one, right? Uh, th- there's likely many things that you've had to work on in, in your life, work towards in your life. But I wonder today, what would rise to the surface of being your biggest accomplishment? Well, the greatest risk with the text that we're going to read today from Philippians 2 The greatest risk in understanding this text is making the mistake of thinking that our salvation is an accomplishment. It's something that we do or something that we strive for. But listen, God's salvation, we're going to read this clearly in just a minute, is not something we accomplish. The the Apostle Paul used a very specific word to describe our relationship as believers to God's saving work, his salvation in our lives. And unless you're familiar with the text, it's probably a word you wouldn't expect. It's probably a word that if you're playing an association, right, with salvation, you'd say freedom, hope, peace, right? There's a lot of words you might use that's probably not this one, though. And the word is this, work. Work. Specifically, you see it on the screen. Today, we arrive in Philippians 2 to this text where Paul implores the Philippian people, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Uh, Our salvation, listen, is not an accomplishment, but it takes work. And that's what Paul is saying. Your salvation takes work. Work And so our journey uh, through Philippians brings us today to this text. We're in a series called Living the Jesus Life, right? That's what we're, we're learning to do because Philippians is Paul's letter to a church in Philippi, a community of believers, and it's incredible instruction, not just for them, but for us today on how we can live the Jesus life. And so we arrive today, we arrive today to Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 12. If you have your copy of scripture, open it there with me. Uh, if you have the, the Version Bible app, open it today to, to the text as I believe the Lord will honor uh, the reading of his word. So it says this, Philippians 2 verse 12. Therefore, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue, here it is, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. To will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Here's one of the benefits. If you haven't been with us, we're in a nine-week study on the book of Philippians. And one of the benefits, uh, we don't do anything for nine weeks anymore, right? We want to do everything in 90 seconds, right? But one of the benefits of kind of taking a long journey through a text like this is you have to come to some texts. You have to deal with some things that you may not always want to deal with. And this is a particular passage today that raises some really important questions, but I believe it's a passage that we as believers, especially in the year 2023, we have, we have to look at, we have to address. So the obvious question with this text is, what does it mean to work out your salvation? That's what the Apostle Paul says. And perhaps just as importantly, what does it not mean? What does it not mean? Is Paul saying you have to earn 
your salvation, that it's a prize that we work for, and if we do enough, we work hard enough, we get a trophy on the mantle, an accomplishment? No! As we've already stated, our salvation is not an accomplishment. That would contradict the gospel that Paul proclaims. That There are plenty of other times, but even just consider one page earlier in Philippians chapter 1. In verse 11, Paul clearly proclaims that righteousness comes through Christ alone. Not through our works and our deeds and working hard enough. So, so Paul clearly is not speaking of that because he just said the opposite. And about the same time Paul's writing this letter, he writes another letter to a church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 2, Paul says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So so Paul is clearly saying, we don't earn our salvation. It's not something that we achieve through our works. So if Paul is not trying to contradict himself, what is he saying? Let's look a little bit more at the context so that we can lean in and understand what what does this word, what does this passage mean to us? So look with me, verse 12, look with me at the first word in verse 12. You'll see it on the screen, therefore, therefore. Now we decided to split this message up into little sections, but we know this is one continuous letter. And so therefore is speaking to what just happened, what Paul just wrote about in this letter. What precedes this passage in verse 12 is one of the most famous ancient texts Paul has ever written. And it's these words, we studied them last week. Paul wrote, in your relationships with one another. This is Philippians 2 verse 5, just before it, right? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. If you were here last week, we talked about that. What does it mean to have the Christ-like mindset, right? That that having a Christ-like mindset leads to Christ-like actions in our lives. And that's what Paul's saying. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So then it goes, therefore. So in other words, Paul is connecting everything he's about to say here about this this instruction to work out our salvation. He's connecting it to, to what directly he said about Christ. This instruction is not disconnected from the previous text. Paul is saying Because of Christ, because of his sacrifice, because he humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross, because of that. In other words, Paul is not devaluing the work of Christ here. He's actually re-emphasizing it. He's re-emphasizing it. And then, look, so, so it says, therefore, right? That's important. And then it goes on to say, my dear friends, have you always obeyed, not only in my presence, now much more in my absence. And then he says, continue to work out your salvation. Many of you know, you realize that that the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And so we're constantly, when we want to dive into the text and really understand, we, we have to go back to this original Greek, which doesn't always translate so neatly into our language, into the English language. And so the Greek word here, this idea of work out, is this idea of completeness, wholeness, This is the idea here, that that salvation must find its completeness in you as you work it out in your life. 
Paul's saying salvation must be evident in every area of your life. It must be brought to completion in your life. So Paul doesn't say work for your salvation, but it's as if Paul is saying activate, activate the salvation God has given you. Allow it to do its complete work in your life. Don't stop short. That's, that's the richness of this text. And so he continues on to say, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. It's interesting here to compare the two mentions in this text of work, right? Because I said from the beginning, that's the word that we don't expect to associate with the idea of salvation. But look, it's right here in verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 talks about the call for us to work out our salvation. But then right there in verse 13, it is God who works in you. See, we're called to work out our salvation, but it's God who works in us. As I was reading these words, I was reminded of more words that Paul just wrote in Philippians 1. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. That's what Paul is saying. Let let the salvation, the gift of God, work its way out in your life unto completion. And by the way, it's God. He is with you doing the work as you surrender to his will. As I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about being a father. I was thinking about being a father. This truth can apply in so many areas, but for me, I think about it through the lens of being a father because the reality is in in 2006, I became a dad. Um, Reese showed up and poof, I was a dad, right? It was a lot more than poof, but you understand. I'm just summarizing some events that had, and poof, I'm a dad. Now it's true, in that moment, I did my best to prepare. I read books. I talked to people that were dads. I'm like, what can you teach me? I was taking notes. I did everything I could. But in that moment, I was a dad, and I felt so blessed to be the father of such a beautiful— I felt what a gift that God had entrusted that I get to be father to that little girl. But there's so much I didn't know. It's actually scary as I think back how much I didn't know at that point. I should have been more scared than I was. I was pretty apprehensive. But there's so much I didn't know at that point, right? I was a dad, but it's taking me a lifetime, a lifetime of growth and making mistakes and learning to apologize and learning and growing to work out what it means to be a father. I was a dad in 2006, but in 2023, I'm still having to work out what it means to be a dad in my life. One thing I had to learn about being a father is being a father is more than just tasks and responsibilities. Help care for your family, make sure everybody gets to where they need to. I joke that I run like an Uber taxi service, right? It's it's these tasks and responsibilities that come with being a parent, with being a father. But being a father is way more than that. It's about being present. And the Lord's had to teach me that and is still teaching me that. It's not just about doing the things, checking off the boxes, the things that I need to do to get everybody where they need to go and to be, make sure everybody's got what they need. Being a father is about being present, showing up in their lives, listening, throwing the ball, whatever that looks like, to cherish each moment. Being a father is not just surviving and keeping everybody alive. And I've had to learn, and I'm still learning that because as a father, my journey continues. Every time... Every time I think I learned something new, there's more challenges. More kids kept showing up along the way, right? It got a little exponentially difficult as the journey continued. 
But I would say often that being a father is one of the hardest things I get to do, but it's one of the best. And it has been a journey. And, and I love talking to the parents of grown children. I use grown. They're grown, you know, but you're still parenting, aren't you? Because I'll, I'll spend the rest of my life working out what it means to be a father. So it can be brought to completion in my life. Just as I've grown as a father, I've had to grow in my journey with Christ. I, I, I've been a believer in Christ. Uh, I, he saved me, right? I've experienced his salvation for many years now, but I've had to grow and grow and allow that salvation to have its complete work in my life. I'm going to be honest. I've never been good at waiting. I've never been good at waiting. It's one of the obvious ways that I've had to work out his salvation in my life. Apart from the Lord, I'm just buzzing around, trying to get done everything I can, accomplish the most, be the best, be everything to everyone. But with the Lord, I've had to understand that sometimes interruptions are divine. Sometimes he, he doesn't just allow interruptions. He causes interruptions and delays in my life to teach me something. So with the Lord, I, I've, I've had to understand that I can't live that way anymore. I can't just live buzzing around 65 miles per hour all the time. I've had to learn to slow down, to be present in moments, to be patient, to trust him in the delays and in the waiting of my life. Because his presence in my life is teaching me, teaching me that he is in the delays and the interruptions. This is just one way that I'm on a journey and his salvation is having to work itself out into my life. I'm having to work, do the work with the help of his spirit. So how about you? How about you? What does it mean for you today to work out your salvation, to allow his saving work, his redeeming work in your life to come to its completion with the help of his Holy Spirit? As we consider this application, I want to finish the text today. Uh, rejoin me again. We're in verse 14, uh, and we'll finish, we'll finish to verse 18. It says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing. It's as if Paul knew that sometimes this work <laughs> that we have to do is hard, right? Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless, pure children of God without fault in a, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. There's all kinds of language here that points back to hard work, hard work. There will be opposition. We've talked a lot about this idea in Philippians that some suffering will happen along the way. And it means it's speaking to the work, the perseverance that has to happen in this journey that we're on with Christ. So practically, what does this mean? And it's true that I, I can't speak exactly to the circumstances of your life. I can't speak exactly to what you're experiencing today in your journey but I believe that this text has practical implications for us individually, but I also believe it has practical implications for us in community. One of the things that we tend to do in kind of the Western world is we tend to take the gospel and make it only apply to us individually. And it is true that your salvation is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's natural that we would do that. But one of our responsibilities in our journey is community. 
that we have a responsibility to live and respond in community. And it's important to note that Paul is writing these words to a community, to people that are having to learn how do we live this out in community? Because it was impossible for them to separate their faith from their community. So Paul is challenging them. How, how, do, you, how do you work this out together in community? One of the analogies that Paul uses time and time again, um, he, he doesn't do it specifically right here, but throughout his letters, he compares this journey of faith, this work that we do to the analogy of a race. Of a race. Don't, don't take my word for it. In 1 Corinthians, a letter that Paul writes to another church, he says, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Sounds like work, doesn't it? Some of you are like running. That's work, right? But that's the analogy he uses to this journey that we're on. Run in such a way to do the work. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that easily entangles. Let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Sounds like work, doesn't it? But that's the analogy time and time again Paul uses to illustrate this journey, this allowing his saving work to be brought out to completion. It's like running a race. Now, for me, uh, if, if you've been showing up here for a little while, you know that the analogy of running is kind of rich for me because I like to run. I wouldn't call myself a runner because you think of that, you think of like robot people that just, it's like they push the button and 30 miles later, they're still going. That's not me. Uh, but I did bring uh, some illustrations here. Um, they're far enough away from you, you probably can't smell them. But I brought some running shoes with me, okay? Um, because uh, one thing, and, and I did this to show you that a runner, you know, what shoes you wear is really important. And so I actually went to a, a running place. They looked at my foot and saw me run, and they gave me certain ones, right? But I show you this because you can see these, you know, this shoe doesn't look that bad, but on the bottom of it, the tread completely wears out. These shoes are pretty much worthless. I just have them in my closet because I haven't thrown them away yet, right? But the tread is totally worn off. It's not really safe, and it actually can injure you when you continue to run. But I do this to show you that running requires work. Work. The, the tread is completely gone from the work that requires and running. But I love the analogy because when I run, it's good. I've shared this before. It's good for my heart and my mind. And my, it's just, it, it's a spiritual thing for me, which some of you can't even totally understand. And I get it. I, uh, I have a picture on the screen. I, I got the privilege of running a couple races in Richmond the last two falls. And so this is a picture of me in November and my boys. Um, that was me. I finished. So there you go. It's uh, proof I didn't collapse out there. But to me, this idea of running is not just an individual thing. Now, it is true. Most of the times when I go out and run, I'm running alone, running by myself. I'm training alone. But one of the really cool things when you get to run a race is you get to see and experience the power of community. Of community. That may seem really stupid to you if you play team sports and you're like, well, you're just running, you're just going, and then you stop, and it's just you out there. And that idea of community may not mean anything to you, but to me, it's really challenging because when you run with other people, it changes you. It pushes you more. In fact, when you run an actual race, one of the things you have to tell yourself is to slow down because your tendency is to speed up because everybody's running with you. You've got all this adrenaline. You feel like I'm going to take on the world, right? And two miles in, you're dead. 
Because this, this power in numbers and in community and this adrenaline and this excitement. I'm getting passed by people a lot older than me and I got to beat them. You know, it's like you get, something happens when you're running together. One of the things that really stood out to me as I ran um, Race in Richmond, they do a really good job organizing it. And one of the things they do, if you sign up way ahead of time, you can join a team. And these teams, what they do is they get together and they have to do some training individually. Because again, the journey, it does apply individually, right? You have to train individually. But they would have times where they would meet up and they would train together. And then on the race day, the first time I did it, I knew nothing what was happening. But I saw all these people wearing matching shirts. And as I began to run, I noticed some things. I noticed as people began to run their race, that they had these matching shirts. But then I, I would notice they would be running, and as they were running, someone else from their team would come up alongside them. And they would just check in, how you doing? Have you been drinking enough? How you feeling? They would just encourage them, and they would run with them for a couple minutes, along with just having somebody else there with them. And again, I didn't know. The first time I thought, man, these must be best friends. I, no, they just, they were on the team together. So they would run next to him. And then a couple minutes later, they would run and catch up to someone else and run alongside to them. I saw when individuals of this team would have to get over. Somebody's got a cramp. Somebody's hurting. They would get off to the side. Of, you raise your hand so people don't run into you when you're stopping, right? Do this and they get off to the side. Somebody from the team would stop. Stop. I don't want to stop. I want to get a good time. I want to keep going. People from the team would stop and check on them. Hey, do you need something? Are you Okay. Cool off, sit in the shade for a minute. There was this community. It was beautiful to witness. I'm here to tell you, I know it's so dorky, but every time I run a race, I cry. Because to me, it's just a beautiful analogy. I have the scripture in my mind of run the race set before you. And I see all of these individuals on a journey, but then I see the power of community. I see the power of people showing up and helping and encouraging one another along the path. Even if they have to slow down and walk, hey, just walk for a minute and then we'll go together. Hey, you're not alone in this race. And I'm just here to tell you, it moves me. It moves me as a husband who desires to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Uh, it moves me as a father who desires to be present with my kids and compassionate and patient and filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it moves me as a friend who desires to keep showing up in people's lives to encourage and to listen, to care for them. It, it moves me as a son, as a brother, as a pastor, as a leader, as a normal, everyday, very ordinary person who's on this journey running the race that the Lord has set before me. <laughs> I have a, a bottom line on the screen, a truth for us. And I want you to know the powerful truth from Philippians 2 is this, is that as you work, God works in you. And the truth is, he's been working long before. <laughs> he's going to continue working long after. But as you commit to run the race, as you commit to take the next step, as you commit to fight through the cramps, to get, oh, it's just up the hill, whatever that analogy looks like in your life. As you do the work, man, he works in you. He works through you. He will help you, carry you, lead you, guide you to finish the race marked out for you. One more running analogy, if you'll just bear with me. Uh, when you're running and it gets really hard, there's two different strategies that I've kind of noticed. There's other people in the room that could tell me more, but there's two strategies I've noticed. You get a cramp, you're in the middle of the race, you know you got several miles to go, and you're just dead, and you just wanna, you just wanna quit. And it's true for me, about 80% of running a race is mental. 
So sometimes it's just that mental. But there's two different analogies. The first analogy is this. Sometimes you got miles to go, and sometimes the only thing that you can do is focus on the next steps in front of you. You're not looking up here. You're not worried about how long. You're not even worried about whatever else. You're just focusing on taking the next step, just running a couple more feet. Just get up ahead. You're focused right in front of you on the next step. Because the next 100 steps are overwhelming, all you can see and all you can do is look at the next steps ahead of you. And some of you, that might describe the journey that you're on today. That might describe the work that you're having to do right now with the help of the Holy Spirit is you can't even see, you can't even, you can't even imagine looking ahead that far. That seems like way too much. You're just the next step in front of you. But there's another analogy that's equally as powerful because sometimes when you're running, Sometimes you don't need to keep your eyes here because sometimes you need to keep your eyes here because you can see at the top of the hill. You can see just over the horizon. You can see enough where where sometimes focus here is where you need to be, but sometimes getting focused here, you'll lose sight of what's there because just over the horizon, if I can just get over this hill, if I could just, I'm almost there. And so sometimes, sometimes the strategy shifts from right here to right there. So I, I don't know where you're at in your journey today. And I don't know which one of these apply to you. But on your journey, as you work out your salvation, there will be moments where you have to just focus on the next step in front of you. Taking a step is all you can do on your journey. And in that, you need to be reminded that you're not alone. You need to be reminded that you're part of community that are there to help you on that journey when you're cramping, when you're struggling, when all you can do is take the next step. Just keep your eyes right in front. One step, one step, one step. And some of you, it's right where you are, but, but others, others because of, again, the gift of community, because of people around you today, The word of the Lord to you is don't get stuck right here. Keep your eyes up ahead. Don't miss what's coming. Don't get so stuck in the circumstances of now. Don't get so muddy down with the mess right in front of you that you miss the blessing that's up on the horizon because as you work, God works in you and there's something coming up ahead. Lift your eyes, right? How often in the Psalms does it say that, right? Lift up your eyes and maybe today on your journey, that's the word for you is keep your eyes on the horizon because something good is coming if you don't quit, if you'll persevere, if you'll do the work, he will work in you. Can I pray for you today? Would you bow your heads? I want to, I want to bathe, I want to bathe these words in God's truth in prayer today. I want to ask his Holy Spirit. Uh, we've talked about the Holy Spirit today on the day of Pentecost. I'm going to ask his spirit to come and speak to you no matter where you are on your journey. The band's going to come, and in just a minute, we're going to spend a few minutes uh, worshiping and reflecting and listening. But as we do today, only you really know what it means to work out your salvation, to allow the saving work of God to have its complete work in you. Only you really understand the race that you're in today, the journey that you're in. Only you really know what you need most from the Lord today. Maybe it's just taking the next step because anything else beyond that is just too much. Or maybe the Lord would challenge you today to lift up your eyes, to look ahead, to 
to have the faith to believe that on the horizon is something far more beautiful and far more amazing. It's bigger, it's better. It's, it's only what he could do. His work, completing, finishing its work in you. And so today I want to pray for you. Father, for each person in the sound of my voice, you love them. They're loved by you. You're a good father. We sang those words just a few minutes ago. Thank you that on this journey, we don't journey alone. You've given us community. And Lord, some of us tend to resist that. But to live the Jesus life in days such as these, we need community. We need people. We can't run this race alone. So Lord, for those of us that have been trying to go it alone, forgive us, lead us, teach us, guide us. Lord, we want your saving work, your redeeming work to have its full, full permission, Lord, to do its work in us. We don't want to stop short. We don't want to settle for anything but your best. And so, Lord, you're going to have to teach us. I pray today for our hearts that they would be open and teachable. I pray that our minds would be open, that you would set our hearts and our minds on you, that we would choose the mindset of Christ as we've been talking about and doing so would lead us, Lord, to sacrifice and surrender and, and, and humility. We humble ourselves enough today to admit that we haven't arrived on this journey. Our race isn't over yet. So we believe there's more for us, more to teach us, more truth for us to learn, more hope that you want to fill us with, more people's lives that you want us to impact. Our journey is not complete. And so help us, Lord, to run the race you've marked out for us as we, as we work, as we take the next step. May we know that you are already at work in us and through us for your glory. I pray for healing today. For some of us, this may, there may be pain in this. There may be brokenness in this journey. There may be fear. Lord, I pray for your hope and your peace to come and fill us now and show us that you are with us even now. We love you, Lord, and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Church, would you stand? Uh, I want to close today with a song that's been ministering to me. We sang it last week, but uh, listen to the words of the song that we're going to sing. Because for some of you on the journey, I think these words are for you. It's a song of faith. The title of the song is, is More Than Able. You are more than able. The verse just asks this question. When did I start to forget all of the great things that you did? When did I throw away faith? For the impossible? How did I start to believe, God, that you weren't sufficient for me? Why do I talk myself out of seeing miracles? Today, no matter where you are on your journey, believe that our God is more than able. And as we sing this song, ask his presence, his spirit to come and speak to you and move in your heart today. Amen. Let's worship. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.